Hey, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Roman, with some big news. Speech Bubble is doing our first convention appearance at the Mississauga Comic Expo at the Mississauga Central Library on October 21st from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Come visit us at 301 Burnham Thorpe Road West. We'll be giving away free swag and we'd love to see you. You can also visit some of our past guests, Chip Zdarsky, Jay Torres, Fearless Fred, and Ryan North are just some of the many people we've interviewed who you'll be able to meet in person. Come see us. We'd love to meet you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hey fanboys and fangirls, it's your host Aaron Broverman. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com or Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Google Play or iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. With us today we have Stephanie Cook. Stephanie is the founder and editor-in-chief of Rogue's Portal. Rogue's Portal is basically a website for all your geek and pop culture news. They do reviews, they do opinion stuff, analysis, commentary. Uh, She wrote a really interesting editorial that I read, uh, basically saying, Marvel, what the fuck are you doing right now? (laughs) It's really cool. Uh, She does that. She's also the new lead editor of the Toronto Comics Anthology, taking over for Andrew Stevenson, who we had on a while back on the podcast. Uh, We've also had other past editors like Aaron Feldman and Allison O'Toole. Uh, she's also a writer of comics. Uh, most recently, her work has appeared in the Miller World Anthology for 2017. That's Mark Miller, the guy behind Kick-Ass and uh, Kingsman, The Secret Circle, if you're watching that movie that just came out. So uh, Stephanie got to work on one of his characters, and uh, she was selected as one of the people. Uh, I think she writes about Huck, one of the characters that he created. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. I kept on wanting to jump in there. I was like, oh, should I say something? Should I not? So go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. You you steer the way and I will talk. I love to talk. Awesome. Cool. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I've been a contributor to the Toronto Comics Anthology too last year. So I think we sat next to each other, like one of the signings and stuff. Yeah. 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 I did a story for um, the anthology last year, which is really kind of how I met Andrew and got in touch with that kind of community and started working on the book. I've been in the Toronto Comics community as a general kind of place, not specifically within Andrew's Toronto Comics for a long time now, but that was the first time I decided to be a part of that anthology. And I wrote a story about my grandmother and how she came to live in Canada and specifically how she came to live in Toronto. Yeah, that was a really good story. I read it. It was awesome. Thank you. And you were in with me. You were in the first full color edition. So that was kind of... Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was really cool. And like Sean Daly did my art and was just amazing. He gave me so many options to like work on like the colors. He's like, oh, and like explaining it all. He's like, this is what this is. And this is what this is. And what do you want to do? And like explained all of them like the best possible way and gave me like examples. And I was so happy with how it all came out. And I mean, 
anybody who's seen Sean's art before, like you can't not be happy with his art. He's yeah, he's so great. He's been on our podcast before. Uh, he's doing a comic right now called I think Samurai Grandpa. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. really really cool. I've only kind of followed it on Instagram. Whenever he kind of like posts new little snippets of it, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Sean. He's awesome. Nice, nice. So how did you get involved in the comics scene more generally? Um, so, I mean, I've been a big fan of comics for a long time now, and originally, like, again, I was just a fan, and um, several years ago now, I moved out to um, Prince Edward Island, and so I lived out there for about a year. Um, From here? Yeah, so oh, okay. I've been living in Toronto, and I kind of got stuck in this weird, like, retail spiral where I was doing jobs that, like, I actually had, like, a big background in, like, radio and things like that. But there was all these, like, the hiring freeze happened and, like, the big recession was really going on. So there weren't a lot of jobs accessible to me at that time. And I was stuck in the retail loop. And I moved out to Prince Edward Island. And I basically started writing freelance, um, like, full-time. I mean, I air quotes full-time. Like, I was just kind of, like, on unemployment and just writing whenever I could, but I wrote for the movie website, Joe Blow, um, which you may or may not be familiar with. Yeah. It's um, the, they got that big logo with this yeah. elevacy guy and the yeah, glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like my first freelance gig ever was writing for them. And I was like, they're like, I started as like a news editor and was like there like basically through them um you were kind of like required to be on like their forums and interact with like some of the other fans there and just sort of make friends like you were encouraged to do that you didn't technically have to but you, they wanted you to and it was better for the job I guess yeah yeah they like therefore you kind of had a place to just talk with the people that frequented the site and were like these big huge movie fans Um, So from there, I basically met my friend Steve and like we started talking all the time. And again, I was out in like Prince Edward Island and he was in New York, but him and some friends were starting a comic book podcast. Um, So they started, that was the beginnings of Talking Comics, which I was a part of for several years. Talking Comics is like the legendary, almost like founding comic podcast back in like the waning days when podcasts were first becoming a thing. This started coming out when like the DC New 52 was like first launching or so. So it was like a part of like that team. Yeah, so it was like around like 2011-ish, right? Because 52 came out September 2011. Yeah, that's exactly when like I started doing that podcast. Cool. Like that kind of took my casual like comic fandom into like a whole different realm where I was not just reading comics for fun anymore, but now I was like reading them to review them and to talk to other people about them. And from there, it just kind of spiraled into like a bunch of different things. Um, I started working like behind the scenes and doing like assisting and going to shows. I did like some editing continuity stuff and sort of general editing and I did that along with like freelance writing for several years and in just like a freelance capacity until I kind of just wasn't doing that anymore and I was like well what do what do I do with myself but somewhere along there I guess um you know I'd still been doing the podcast I'd still been um working behind the scenes and somebody's like well why don't you write comics and I actually like specifically remember this. It was like at a convention pool party and like this person like popped out of like the pool, like this like little delightful comic artist mermaid and was like, <laughs> hey, Steph, why don't you write comics? And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. And I guess like initially I didn't want to seem like I was 
assisting and doing all this like behind the scenes stuff and also kind of coming across as like I was there only to you know like progress my career right I liked doing what I was doing I liked my job I liked those roles that I had I liked the busy work and it hadn't really occurred to me that like that was a thing I could be doing like I could be networking not just to know these people but to like forward my career and I didn't do that. Like I, I didn't wind up really using it, but it was like the first moment when I was like, why don't I do this? Why don't I write comics? Right. Right. And it would be like a, probably at least two or three years after that, before I kind of finally was like, yeah, why are you trying to write prose? Why are you trying to write like all this other stuff? You know so much about comics, like write comics. And through like the assisting and through like the behind the scenes stuff, you probably absorbed a lot of stuff about like the process and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right? Again, I knew comics from like a standpoint where I read them and I enjoyed them and I reviewed them. So I had a critical eye on how they worked, like right. what worked, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then I also was editing them so like I could see what worked and what didn't work. And I got an idea of how like panels worked and how like scripts were laid out and how, you know, on a more like behind the scenes level in terms of like publishing, like how that works. Like I got a really great idea of just how comics in general worked from all this stuff that I'm able to really like kind of just be like, oh yeah, this is, this is this, this is what's going on. This is like mm. who you need to talk to. This is what you got to do. Um, so it really helped me just kind of get a really good understanding of how everything works before I actually stepped into trying to write comics myself and trying to kind of just get a career going of my own. So what was the first foray into writing that you, that you had for um, comics? For comics. Okay. So I was like, well, writing, like I've been writing forever. But in terms of comics, I'm trying to think of what my first thing that I would have written for comics. Like I, there's a lot of things that I didn't get off the ground for a long time. So I wrote a book, a novel this year, and um, I swear this ties in. <laughs> Initially, that was probably one of my first or second attempts at trying to write a comic. And it didn't really pan out in comic form because I hadn't really kind of taken the time to sit down and fully outline it. Right. I hadn't taken the time to just think about where it was going. I just was writing it. Cause I was like, I have this story. It needs to be out of my brain. Like it's just like vomiting onto the page and it just didn't have any direction, but I wound up basically putting it on the table. Cause I was like, I need to like, I really like this idea. I don't want to ruin it by just going with it in no direction. And eventually I realized it needed to kind of be a novel and that the comic portion of it got scrapped. Right. But that was kind of like my first attempt to start scripting and doing things. And I wrote like a really, really silly comic that was going to be a web comic and no one's allowed to steal this. Um, but it was called like cat formers and it was basically like cat transformers. <laughs> um, it, it was very dumb, That's but it was basically one of those things that I deliberately was doing knowing that it was dumb because I wanted to get a feel for how scripting worked. I wanted to like, work out kinks in like a dumb, silly idea um, before I really started trying to write things that I was serious about and that I wanted to get out into the world. Yeah, you could do more experimenting on things you didn't really care about that much. Yeah, so like I had fun ideas and I just wanted to do something with those in order to just learn and, and learn more on an applied level as opposed to, you know, having observed and been a part of it behind the scenes. Right. So I think the first real script, though, that I ever wrote 
was actually, it might have been for Toronto Comics. Um, that was like the first one that I submitted to somebody. Like right. that was like the first thing where I was like, well, I guess I can show somebody where, like where you like pitched writing. something yeah. and, and it, there was like a process and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But it was very weird. Cause like, I kind of feel like I try, I'm like, I'm sort of sarcastic if anyone knows me, but like it was a very serious script for me cause it was very personal and like basically telling the story about one of like five relatives that I actually like. <laughs> and I got to like interview her and talk to her about this time in her life that I hadn't really talked to her about before. Mm-hmm. So it was weird that this first thing that I was like basically bringing to comics, I feel like wasn't like, I, I'm really happy with the story and I really liked it, but I feel like it wasn't a good indicator of like, it was, it didn't have like my personality fully in it, but I'm, I'm still really happy with it. Like it was just a little more serious, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I think I am capable of writing serious things too. Like, within like the Miller world story, for instance, like I'm jumping ahead, but that one is also very serious too. Like it's not serious. Isn't the right tone, like emotional, I guess it's weird. Like most of my things are actually pretty not silly, (laughs) which is where I I thought where I was going to go with most of my writing Mm, because of your personality and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely thought that my writing was going to like, there was going to be a lot more of me in it, but it, it's been really rewarding to try different styles and to know that I can do different things. Like, again, my story in uh, the, I, I didn't actually say the title, but it was called Home and Country, the story about my grandmother. And um, that, again, it was very serious and emotional um, and personal, but it was rewarding to talk about that and experience what my, like I showed, there's a page basically on, I think maybe the first or second page, um, where my grandmother comes over on a boat and she used to like tell the stories where she'd be like, Oh, it was like mountains, like the boat. We just, we'd go up the mountain and then, you know, your stomach just sank because the boat would just fall down. It was like, it was just plummeting into the water and she hates boats now. But I showed her a panel that, like, Sean did because I, I described that to him. Right. And I showed her, like, the original art that Sean had done. And she was like, that's exactly what it was like. I'm making her sound kind of Jamaican. Sorry, I apologize. But <laughs> she was just like, whoa. Like, she hadn't really experienced comics before until I brought, like, this stuff home to her. So, so did you interview her before you pitched? Or did you pitch and then it got accepted and then you um, did the interview with her? A little bit both because okay. I, I pitched the I, I, I had talked to her and I wanted to do that idea and I only pitched one thing like with Toronto Comics you can pitch a few ideas mm-hmm. and they'll you know maybe take well if they take any of them they'll take your best one or the one they think works best right. I had t- sort of talked to her and I had an idea that that was what I wanted to pitch uh, I basically kind of went to her in between all of it and was like oh if I like got this would you talk to me about it and then she was thrilled. Like, she just wants to talk to people. She just wants to hang out. And, like, she's just, like, this sounds, like, mean, but not mean, but, like, sad. But, like, she's, just, like, older and she's lonely and she just, she wants to tell people about her experiences. And Aww. so, like, any kind of, like, experience that, or chance that she has to kind of have someone over and, like, talk to them. Like, she's like, yes, yes, yeah. you can absolutely interview me. Do this thing. Totally, totally cool. So, yeah, like, it was cool, but also, like, bizarre because I was, like, I'd lived with my grandmother for a while too. Um, and it was like weird. I was like, oh, 
you didn't tell me any of this. Like, I thought I knew a lot of stuff about my grandmother, but like there was just so much that I had no idea about. Right. And it's interesting because it's like kind of a professional capacity. So there's a little bit of distance from like the familial relationship when you're actually trying to like accomplish like a professional goal. Yeah. And like, There was, like, some stuff that was only really hinted at with my grandmother, which is, like, why, like, within the story, things are only hinted at there, too. Like, nothing is kind of explicitly said. Like, my grandmother basically, not to, like, spoil the whole story, but came over to basically kind of help her sister, who was in a really bad marriage, like, Mm -hmm. with a really not great person. Like, domestic violence and that kind of thing? That's what I, like, I, from what I kind of gather, he was just... I won't use the words my grandmother used, Um, but like not a great person. Like I feel like there was like booze and gambling and other women. And um, I got the vibe. There was like some potential like abuse, but like, People don't talk about that. Right, like, right. They don't talk about those things. Yeah, especially of that generation. Right? Yeah, exactly. That was like a thing that yeah. wasn't discussed. Mm-hmm. So I got hints of mm-hmm. things like that, but again, never explicitly said. Yeah. Interesting. And then when you've lived as long as, you know, our grandparents have lived, there's so many things, there's so many different sides to them and so many things that you know yeah. that, you know, th- that they know that you don't know and stuff. So it's really cool. Yeah, it was... Again, it was just, like, a nice opportunity to get the chance to, like, know my grandmother more, too. Mm-hmm. But. Mm. Totally. That's awesome. So then what did she think of the finished product when it was finally done? <laughs> I think before the book came out, I showed her, like, Sean gave me a bunch of the pages from the story, like, his original art for it. And so I showed her. But, like, I still don't think that she grasped that it was meant to be, like, a story about her. Like, she knew I interviewed her for it. And I told her, I was like, this is, like, your story, the one that, like, we did. And, like, she'd be like, oh, and, like, show her neighbor. She'd be like, oh, my granddaughter did this thing. And she'd be, like, very excited. But I I still feel like there's, like, a disconnect where she doesn't understand that it's, like, about her. Even though, like, she knew it was happening. So, like, she thought it was pretty. But, like, I can't tell if she, like, completely gathers what it is right like maybe when you're like reading about yourself like you have to kind of remove yourself from it or else it gets a little too overwhelming yeah and like i gave sean like some references for my grandmother my like my grandmother's a twin so her twin and like my grandfather too and sean like super nailed especially like more so even than i think like my grandmother and her sister were was my grandfather I showed her the page and like the characters and she's like, who's that? And I'm like, that's supposed to be like Opa. And she was like, no. And I was like, but like, I have like the photo that, you know, was used and like, it's so spot on. It's so spot on. So it was kind of funny, like seeing her like kind of misremember, like young version of like my grandfather. Do you think it was because comics were like a different thing and treated differently back back in those Maybe. days. I don't think she like poo-poos it or anything. Okay. Like I don't think it's like it has anything to do with that. I just right. think she doesn't fundamentally like understand. Understand it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But that's really cool. Like you were like uh, Art Spiegelman interviewing his father for a bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was like a, I mean I only did like a 10 page story right, so right. it wasn't anything like extensive. Um, but she has some stories like for a while she definitely was like sort of like 
kind of internet famous when I lived with her. Um, I would tweet about her all the time, like the things that she would say. And then I'd show up at like conventions and people would be like, oh my God, you have to tell me your Oma stories. And like people would swindle me into coming to like dinners solely so that like I would tell them stories about my grandmother. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So she was kind of like sort of internet famous for a while. But like, again, I thought for a long time that if I did write anything about my grandmother, it would be silly stories and like the things that she would say. But didn't turn out that way. Like, it's so weird for me that, like, the first, like, for real thing I did involving, like, my own writing, like, in a professional capacity, and then also, like, in terms of writing about my grandmother was, like, not silly at all. Well, and it's kind of good because often, like, drama is way easier to write than comedy. Like, comedy is super hard. Like, it's hard to get somebody to laugh. I guess, too, before this, I should also mention that, like, I guess Toronto Comics wasn't, like, my first, like, published thing. Like, I had a story in Secret Loves of Geek Girls. Right, right. Oh, I should have mentioned that, because Hope was on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope's amazing. We were just in Saskatoon together um, not too long ago. But, yeah, but that wasn't, like, comics. Like, I wrote, like, a... It's, like, half fiction, half nonfiction. Right, right. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, like for those of you who don't know, uh, this was like a kickstarted anthology initially Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and was like self-published through Hope's company, Bedside Press. But then Dark Horse picked it up. And Dark Horse is sort of like the major like third or fourth comic company out there. They do Hellboy and Sin City and stuff like that. But this project was sort of different for them because it was sort of, you know, as Stephanie's explaining, half prose so some of the stuff was like prose and then some of it was comics well it picked up a lot of steam because margaret atwood was like on board with it and she was doing something very bizarre for her in which that she was drawing comic strips she wasn't writing she wasn't i mean she the stories were obviously like her stories but she was drawing them and they're like pretty basic but nobody had really seen that before so a lot of people were very curious and like all kinds of news sites picked it up and it just kind of went bananas and Dark Horse was I actually no, they weren't doing Angel Capra at that time. Um, although they would later go on to publish hers and uh, Johnny Christmas's Angel Capper. Yeah, and that's her like comic creator own comic yeah, idea. Yes. But like just like now ish, I also did a second story for the Secret Loves of Geek Girls, the Redux, which is just a mini zine, um, which it's being shipped out like currently. So like I got my, I saw my copy for the first time in Saskatoon, which was really cool. Nice. I, I don't think they're like officially everywhere yet. Hope's still in the process of, I think she finished the Canadian shipments. Yeah. I, I haven't quite seen them, but I'll, but I'll watch out for them. Yeah. It's much smaller. Like it's like seriously like zine size, mm-hmm. but cool. it was a fun thing to work on. So like, what was your story there and how was it different from what you were doing with your grandma? <laughs> um, so that one actually was like a little bit more silly. Like it started as like the, ugh, I'm bad at titles. I'm the worst at titles. People shouldn't let me put titles on things. Otherwise, like I'll give a stupid name to a story like Lungerella, which is like comes from like a bad joke where like I had this like nervous tick for a very long time where like when my anxiety got really bad, like my body would just start like lunging and I wouldn't really understand like, like exercise lunging, not like lunging at someone. Oh, although okay. sometimes, although sometimes <laughs> like there was people in front of me and they'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I can't stop my body. So like as a joke, I like kind of titled my book, like, or my story in the book, uh, Lungerella, like a Cinderella kind of thing. But then I didn't think of a better title in time and that stuck. 
but yeah, so that one was like a very silly story about like dating and I had like the worst, most ridiculous stories when it come came to dating. Like I just went on the worst dates. So I kind of was just like talking about my experiences with dating and how like I didn't, I didn't want to like, I'm going to just keep saying poo poo over and over again, but I didn't want to completely dismiss dating because I had bad experiences because I think that like it genuinely helped me figure out what I want and don't want in people. Like what kind of stuff like is like fundamental to who you can get along with. Right. And like, I, I hated a lot of like those experiences. Um, but also they were very funny stories and also like, I think that they really helped me grow as a person. So I wrote like a very silly sort of Goldilocks, like meets like Tinder um, <laughs> story. And it was just like a, like based, everything was based on like things that actually happened to me, but you know, basically someone trying to kind of figure out their way around Tinder and um, meet people online and ultimately kind of find out, you know, maybe I'm not going to find you know, Prince Charming, but it's not necessarily about that. It's about kind of figuring yourself out along the way too. Right. Um, so that was like a fun, silly story for me to write. What were, what was like one of the things that happened? Like one oh. of the, like, the funny things, just so people get a flavor. <laughs> um, the only, I think the funniest, <laughs> well, I can give you an, another example. Cause I've okay. actually written like three things for like dating zines. Okay, cool. Um, but like, that was like that story. And then for the like Redux one, I wrote a story about how I used to code, like nickname people with Lord of the Rings characters when I used my live journals. <laughs> and like, so like in high school when I didn't want like people to like know who I had the like, crush on and stuff, like everybody had different like Lord of the Rings names. <laughs> That's awesome. um, yeah. Me and my best friend were like very obsessed with Lord of the Rings. Like we saw it a lot of times in theaters, like a lot. And we lived in a small town. So like, that was like, you know, do you, like, you own all the extended cuts? And yeah. Everything like, that? yeah. like we saw them so many times and we had like all the action figures and like, we were so nerdy. We were so nerdy. So that was like my second story I wrote for that. But like kind of coming back to your question about like a dating story. Um, another thing that I have coming out, which just wrapped up on Kickstarter, I believe in May, June, um, was blocked. Uh, and it's, like, that's what the book is called, um, from Little Redbird Media. As in, like, blocked on social media? Yeah, like? like, blocked as in, like, <laughs> it, it's basically an anthology of um, bad dating stories. Okay. And those are specifically comics, as opposed to The Secret Loves, which was a mix. This one was a comic, specifically. So, okay. I teamed up with another local Toronto artist, uh, Katie Sawatsky. And, um, she's so good. She's so good. Katie is so amazing. I, I love her. I, I like champion her all the time. Yeah. And like, she's the best. You know, I can't wait until her first like actual book. Yeah. Flo Mosey yeah. comes out. It's going to be, she it's has gonna be like amazing. She previews of it um, at Saskatoon. And like she was tabled with me out there and uh, she's just the best. We were like joking like um, that we were going to be in like a buddy cop movie together because it's like Swatsky and Cook. And like we were at the airport and like the airport attendant guy, like the gate attendant, like called us. He's like, Swatsky and Cook, come to the desk. And I'm like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, which I would genuinely be delighted about. So I keep joking to Katie that now we need to do like a buddy cop thing. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're thinking it's going to be like mall cops. I don't know. Mm -hmm. you, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Anyways, awesome. Katie and I like 
she did my art for this story. And it's about somebody who broke up with me over like a blanket fort. And like, it's... Over a blanket yeah. fort? You were so, in a blanket fort? So basically, I'd been seeing him for like probably about like a month or so. We'd only gone out a couple times because he, he had like other things going on. And that was fine. Same. Like... It wasn't anything that I was, like, kind of crushed about. Like, it had an expiration date. Right. It was fine when mm. it was fine. And then he just kind of, like, ghosted. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Fine. And so I kind of forgot about it. And, like, a month later, he, like, shows up in my messages again. And it's just like, hey, I just feel like I need to explain myself. And I was like, I don't feel like you need to explain. I'm not torn up. It's fine. Like, move on yeah. go away um but he was like no i'm just gonna do it anyways which is i probably should have just blocked him <laughs> um, but i didn't and uh my roommate at the time and i had built like a blanket fort like we were just being like stupid and like wanted to like watch tv in a blanket fort like it's really that simple and so i posted like a photo on instagram and i was like ah like we're making a blanket fort like <laughs> we're basically children yeah. and and he thought that I was seeing other people because I built a blanket fort. And like, he, he literally like wrote to me, he was like, um, what did he say? He was like, oh, I knew that you needed privacy with other people. And that's why you built a blanket fort. And I was like, what? Oh. No, that's so, so, so weird. So he thought that you built a blanket fort because you wanted to hide whoever was yeah, there yeah. at From, the like, time? Yeah, from my roommate, I guess. <laughs> um, so he, yeah, he broke up with me because like, and broke up is like a strong word, but. Well, you um, weren't really going out at that point yeah, anyway. Like, we were like seeing each other, I guess, but like. He was like, yeah, and I, like, this is actually like a quote. He was like, was, I knew I wasn't the only horse in your race and I didn't want to be your second best. And I was like, what? This is so crazy. And so he disappeared and then like, yeah. I feel it, like guys sometimes, they like, they make this dramatic story so that they yeah. can like save face to themselves about yeah, things. I mean, he, he definitely had like problems and that's fine. Yeah. But like, it totally, um... There, there's even more to this story, which you can read yeah, exactly, in the sure. anthology. Like, it, it goes on. There's still at least probably, there's, I think we did an, I want to say like seven or eight page story. So there's at least three or four pages left to this story yeah. at this point. It's weird because um, it's like, you know, you're not breaking up with me. I, I'm not the holy horse in your race. Yeah, so it's some sort so, of weird, so tragic thing. But like when I was pitching to this anthology, like there were so many things that I could have, like I was so torn up. I was like, what do I write about? Like, do I write about the stranger who broke up with me? Like a literal stranger who like sat with me for 10 minutes and then broke up with me. Like, I didn't know him. He broke up with me though. <laughs> so like, like there's just, the, I genuinely was so torn up inside. I was like, I don't know which thing to use for this. So this was like, I was really worried for a while. Like the Kickstarter kind of really slowed towards the end. And I was so sad. I was like, this has to get made. I'm like, this is like, it's my favorite silly thing that I've written so far. Cause like it's so many people hear my stories. And like, I think a lot of them are just like, Oh, Steph. And like, then they like hang out with me and like literally every time somebody like oh Steph's like my silly stories like I'll go out with them and like something weird happens and they're like oh my god it's all true <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like yep this stuff happens to me like all the time so like I was and it, not even on that like a level where that was in my mind 
like, did I want that to get published? Like everything is like just so stranger than fiction in my life sometimes. And I loved telling this story and Katie would send me like snapshots of like her working on it. And I'm like, yes, I'd love this. That's awesome. And it was just like, so not rewarding to tell. Cause I don't really feel like any part of that, like whole scenario of that interacting with that human was, <laughs> um, air quotes rewarding but it was it was like really fun and i loved working with katie like i'm so grateful that i got a chance to work with her on something yeah she's so good she's gonna be huge and it, like yeah for you sure. know, even though we're like pals she'll be like i'm sorry i don't have time and i feel like the entire like toronto like artist alley community is like in love with her work yeah so she's got and like again kind of from being in comics and working in comics like, I, I feel like you can see a lot of, like, artists and you can be like, oh, you can see, like, this person's influence. Oh, you can see this, this. And, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, like, a little bit, like, Mignola-ish. And, like, this is, like, Mobius. But, like, Katie's style is so her own. Yeah. And in this day and age, like, that's so truly baffling in, like, the best possible way. That you have a style that nobody else is even remotely, like, you know, well, this is sort of reminiscent of this. Her style is Katie's style. And it's what publishers are looking for. Like yeah. like in this in this day of like isolation and inauthenticness, everybody's looking for like something authentic, original. Something original, exactly. Yeah. And like part of the thing with like um I guess Toronto Comics bringing it back to that is like we looked through a lot of like portfolios. We had more submissions for like writers and artists than we had previously in any other year. And you can kind of see sometimes when you're looking at other people's work and like going through their portfolios, you're just like Oh, this is like, you know, very much like you can tell what they were basing things on, but it's still almost like too much that like Mm -hmm. it's not enough your own style. Like it's like it's stylized, but not in your own voice. Yeah, it's still developing, but it's more whatever they're patterning themselves after. Yeah, and Katie's is so stylized, but in the best possible way. It's like refined, stylized. She has a voice. She has like a unique look like she's just a plus that's awesome so cool so then like you're doing the block anthology you're doing the toronto comics anthology mm-hmm. um talk a little bit about your involvement in the toronto comics anthology because this yeah. is the first time that andrew isn't yeah, editing he's, like he's not the off. lead editor so yeah. you're like the torchbearer and yeah. uh it's been amazing. Like I'm also editing another series right now for Fabian Lillet, who does like Jade Street Protection Services, or did rather. But I never realized like how much I really loved editing, and I kind of was like, oh, I want to do this, and like it'll be like a nice project for me to be involved in, like the community, and you know, like work on like cool comics. And I, again, I'd been working on this other series with Fabian for a while now, too, and was really enjoying working with him. But, like, I wasn't sure if that was because I was just, like, enjoying working with him and the script or if it was just a thing that I was enjoying with editing in general. Right. Um, but it turns out I just really like editing. I really like being a part of this anthology. Like, it's been – Andrew basically has had four volumes now to – work out all the kinks and kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work and just have a system in place. So I already have like a very well-oiled machine happening and you know, the deadlines are in place and I'm just coming on board to make sure that those deadlines happen and the stories get picked and our editors like edit and all this other stuff. So I'm like sort of like mini Andrew, like again, he's still doing a ton of stuff, but it's been amazing. Like we've split up all the stories um, for anybody who doesn't know, basically like, 
the submission process happens. We like deliberate. We've deliberated, I think, for like almost four hours this year, maybe more. Wow. Um, to narrow down the stories. It was so hard. It was so like it, hard. I feel like it grows and gets more difficult every year. Yeah. There were so many great stories that it was... I felt like it was almost like impossible to choose. Like we, we got most of it down and then it wound up being like a lot of just kind of, we're sitting there trying to figure out the final couple of like things to get in there. And you're like, Oh, well we only have like five pages left, but everyone has like eight page stories. Like, what do we do? What do we find? But it's been like crazy good. Like it's for me. Cause I'm like the lead editor. I'm doing like a, f- I'm wearing a few different hats where like, I'm not just editing. Like I'm also doing like a lot of the admin stuff and, um, basically holding the other editors like accountable to whether the work's being done and mm. where they are with things. And then basically pairing up the writers and artists, uh, making sure contracts get in. Like there's just a lot of things kind of going on there, updating like the Facebook page and telling people like what our creative teams are. But Right now, like the final drafts are in, we're just tweaking like the last of those and character designs are going to be in, I I guess this won't be out for like a couple of weeks, but they're like kind of coming in on October 1st. And like, that's the kind of first art stuff that I'm going to be seeing and having done like all of like just the written stuff right now, like I'm so excited to get to see these characters and like these scripts start to come to life after being like engrossed in them for like a while now, but yeah, that's amazing. And then Andrew, I guess has moved on to be more like publisher. Yeah. More. Yeah. He's, you know, like in order to kind of get like grants and stuff in Toronto and then like Canada in general, like you can't be involved like as hands on with like these projects, which is kind of ridiculous, but they see it as like a conflict of interest sort of sort thing. Of, yeah. Like yeah. it's sort of self-serving. Yeah. So he can't be as like involved and like, obviously he wants to kind of have like these books, like, get to like a wider audience and do more. Um, and he's publishing Alison O'Toole's Wayward Sisters, which I'm also a part of actually. That's pretty um, groundbreaking so that anthology. I can, I can totally talk about that too. Um, Cause that'll be kickstarting shortly. Yeah. We, I guess we should I talk about it. We'll, we'll come back to that, but yeah, yeah. like, you know, like in order to kind of, if you want to like self publish things in Canada and you want like the government to help you out with it, like it's really tricky. Like hope Nicholson runs into a lot of these issues too. And, um, Andrew's like the more he kind of does is starting to realize these things as well. Cause in Canada, it's more like government base and like the arts are yeah, like kind of all... tied into Canadian content. Like there's very strict criteria yeah. for everything. It's very weird. And like Andrew has kind of explained it to me, but I'm not, minded like that so it doesn't always like absorb fully for me but right. it seems even from like talking to hope um you know it just seems very complicated and they're they're not really all that friendly to like the idea of like comics and stuff because they don't really fit into one specific category yeah right? or just like the idea of like do whatever you want yeah. and like try to get it made and we'll help you yeah it's very difficult and very tricky so you know like they really want you to work for that money right exactly <laughs> It's been really great. I, I'm so excited for this book. I really want, like, I want to flash forward to, for like two minutes, like that TV show that's awful and also that book, which I read, sure. um, where, you know, I just get like two minutes into like looking at the book in like May when it'll hopefully be in my hands and I'll be like, ah, this is like 
the fruits of my labor for the last like forever that's awesome that's so, cool I'm, I'm pretty stoked yeah the kickstarter campaign will be interesting too because like when you're that involved you'll be like yeah. watching the kickstarter like and all I the do time that anyways with like everything i'm involved in that's on kickstarter yeah. so i feel like i'm just gonna be an anxious mess um it's Kickstarter is like a really interesting monster where, you know, I like I believe in it and I think it's such a cool way to get things made. But again, also being involved with any Kickstarter gives me so much anxiety. Like the blocked anthology, I was just like, is it gonna get funded? And it was like in the last like two days when the rest of the money came in. But I really like I'm very happy it got funded, but I was very worried it wasn't going to. Yeah. Because there was a lot of money to make in a like two days but we did it and i was so excited um but like fortunately with like secret loves everything hope does like gets funded like pretty much you know like she's so great at kickstarter and like that's why she's one of their like brand ambassadors basically you know like it's yeah it's like her and like ricky lima are like are like the big like brand ambassadors he was on like um, kickstarter gold he's was not he's not like She's like a different thing. Oh, like, okay. So she, she's like on a higher level. Yeah, because like he, I see. He, I don't know what he did exactly. Like we kind of briefly talked a little bit about his Kickstarter, but like she's actually like she does panels and stuff for Kickstarter and like oh, goes to like conferences okay, okay. for them. Like yeah, she's like yeah. actually like one of their. I forget exactly what it's called, but like it's basically sort of like a Kickstarter ambassador sort of thing. Right, okay, so so but, she's like an ambassador. Because yeah. I think they had this like new program, program, and I think that's where I was getting confused, yeah. where like they took some people that like I guess had frequently done like Kickstarter Yeah, and they did like projects, a Kickstarter they goal. They did like a Kickstarter gold yeah. thing where she you was, got like extra press, I guess, for your Kickstarter. She was a part of that too, but she was also a part of like another part of it. Right. I think with like C. Spike Trotman, who does like Iron Circus comics and stuff. So. Oh, nice. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, Wayward Sisters, that's with uh, Allison O'Toole, who's yes. also one of the co editors of the last uh, anthology. Yeah, I believe she did couple three anthologies. and four. Yeah. 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 And that's a really unique uh, anthology because it's, it's like for women in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, it's like basically, I. I just filmed the Kickstarter video with the for this like on Saturday with Allison. So I've heard the lines over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, but it's a monster book about lady monsters written by women and non-binary creators. Uh, so it's for everybody, but just happens to be written by again like female creators and creators that are non-binary that's awesome so it's it's gonna be amazing i'm so incredibly stoked for this i've been like creeping like the art that gets posted and just kind of looking through everyone's takes and pitches and i can't even wait like i'm so this sounds so hokey um but i feel like so honored to be involved with it like i think my story is probably one of the sillier ones in it See, I'm slowly getting to silly again, but right. I, I have like a weird mix, but uh, I'm writing a story called Miss Monster, okay. which uh, is with Kara McGee's my artist. Uh, she's currently doing like Over the Garden Wall. She posts a lot of Overwatch art on her um, Twitter account. Awesome. She's so amazing. And like, I just saw her happen, like to respond to Allison's initial like pitches thing. She was like, Ooh. Ooh, this is interesting. And I was like, well, if you don't have time to write something, I'm going to write something for you and you can try it. And she was like, okay. And I was like, yes. That's awesome. I was so excited. Um, so 
again, Miss Monster's a story basically about what would a world like Earth, like Monster Earth, what would it look like if they had their version of Miss Universe? Oh, nice. So it's monsters not, you know, competing for beauty and grace. Like, if, if you want to go, like, rhyming, they're going to punch you in the face. Like, they're basically just vying to be the worst of the worst. And, like, whose powers, you know, were used to create the most destruction and chaos and that sort of thing. And which one of them is going to be crowned the, like, Miss Monster, like, the worst monster. And it sounds like thing. a really excellent, like, beauty standards commentary. Yeah, it definitely is, I guess, in a lot of ways, too. For me, like, I just wanted to... I was obsessed with, like, RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. <laughs> and I've gotten sucked into, like, a vortex of, like, really awful <laughs> reality TV lately. Uh, and so it was kind of, like, one of those fun things where I was just like, I just want to write things with lots of puns. And, like, RuPaul, like, with puns sort of thing. Like, just, like, monsters and, like, jokes and bad jokes. Yeah, that's awesome. So, that's really cool. It definitely also, I suppose, probably does have a lot of commentary in it as well. But, like, at the real core of it, I just wanted to write a lot of monster puns. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's good. I think the best stories are, like, multi-layered like that. Like, yeah. there's, there's this meaning, but then there's also this, and then there's also this. And yeah. So. I don't think, like, I, I don't think writers often go into their own works. And I maybe I say this only from, from my perspective, but... I don't really go into my work like building it around themes specifically. Yeah, or like, wanting I just... to say something about a specific macro yeah. thing. And maybe down the line that'll change and that I would want to kind of use my voice in that sense to talk about more specific subjects and themes and things like that. But like at this point, like I mostly go into things and write things that I just want to write about right right so, totally cool. yeah but it works because i mean the readers are gonna read into it right yeah so. and i've seen like a few pages from the story too because the pencils are due and um it's it's so much fun like i'm so happy with kara's art hers like how she's interpreting the characters because i try very hard like to not give a lot of direction to my artists like i try and give them what i need to right. and then i want the story to be theirs too. So I, I feel like I, she did a great job, you know, like I made myself very accessible to her if she needed to ask anything. Um, but then like, was just like, have at it. And I think it's going to be a very, very hot anthology when it comes out because there's just nothing like it. That yeah, I've heard I agree. Of. And like, it's just going to look so great. Allison did a great job curating like the creative teams. And it's, I, I, I genuinely just can't wait to see it. And, it's it's I believe kickstarting on October 11th is when that starts. So please help us make our goals. That's awesome. You're listening to Speech Bubble. We'll be right back. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. (laughs) 
So how did you get involved in uh, Miller World? I mean, this is a yeah. interesting time to release something by Mark Miller since he just did the yeah. Netflix deal where they bought all his characters, characters that you guys were tasked with working on. Yeah, it's insane. Like, I'll, I'll come back to the Netflix thing in a second. Otherwise, I'll just get sidetracked. But okay. It's weird when you write because, like, the chronology of like how everything kind of comes out is very bizarre. Like it's like, Oh, I wrote this thing before this, but this is out and that's not. And then like things come out and you're like, ah, I finally have this thing in my hand that I wrote before everything else I wrote. And like, I don't know. It's very bizarre. Like literally this time last year, like what day is it? It's like the 25th that we're recording of September. And like, I think I submitted my script like, a week before when it would be today, but last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to submit full scripts, but he, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. There's basically a contest that Mark Miller has run. I don't know if he's doing it this year, but he ran it and basically he gives people six properties of his that he is like offering, you know, up to the world. And we have to write his characters and submit scripts for it. So, and these are characters that he's not coming up with for the anthology, but he's he, he already wrote them. Or? Yeah. So, okay. like for instance, in my anthology, ugh, I'm scooching. Um. So, with my anthology, uh, there was Kickass, Empress, Superior, um, Super Crooks, another one which I don't remember which one, and then Huck. Okay. Uh, so they're all things that he has like at least like kind of a volume out of at this point in time. Right. Okay. Um, obviously Kick-Ass probably being the most established within that world. Yeah. So he's like, he'll give like very basic instructions, like when they launch the contest. Um, and he'll be like, here are the six properties that you can write a script for. And like, I don't remember the other ones cause I had nothing to do with those, but I submitted for Huck and the thing was it had to take place um, sometime either at the very beginning or before volume one. Were you a fan of Huck when you submitted? Yeah. Which is specifically why I did submit to that. And I was actually a little bit more strategic than that too, because like, let's be honest, Mark Miller has an audience and that audience can be, there's people outside of that audience, but he has like, I feel like a lot of like, Maybe broy fanboys a little bit. Yeah, it seems pretty broy to me. Yeah. So, like, I thought that by submitting to Huck, that I would like, you know, like less people would want to tell this kind of passive, like, story about this, like, do-gooder. Like, it's kind of like you know, like a very like early like how Superman should be sort of thing. Right. But I, I thought people wouldn't want to tell that story. I thought people would want to be like, yeah, I want to write about kick-ass. I want to write about superior, yeah, like superheroes, what? And like, I thought that's what they would want to do. So in part, I was like a big fan of Huck. And it was the only one that I was like incredibly familiar with. Like I'd read Huck fairly recently before I'd submitted to that. And I felt like I was really connected to that story. Like I just thought it was so full of heart and I really loved the character. So who is Huck for people who don't know? Yeah. So Huck is uh, basically, again, from Miller World. So it's like an original character that's from this universe. But he's like a do-gooder. And he lives in the middle of nowhere in this small town and does a good deed a day. And specifically, his good deeds revolve around the fact that he has a superpower, which is that he can find anything, like anything at all, like that's lost. So... He doesn't know how, he doesn't know why, he can't explain it, but like, you know, like some 
old woman, I'm using something that's like specifically my story, that like brings them like an heirloom or like, it's like, I lost this heirloom. It's like so precious to me. I wanted to give it to my granddaughter, like, and he like knows where it is. He doesn't know why he just knows. Um, so basically the town has known Huck forever and he does a good deed a day and basically does all these nice things for the town folk. And in turn, they keep his secret. They don't out him and tell the world that he's like this, like super powered dude who could maybe change the world. They protect him. He protects them. Right. So I was just like, that's so fundamentally like full of heart, like so good and pure and just so innocent and like the concept. And I really loved it. And so like my story revolved, like my whole pitch was what happens when the person that can find every, like anything at all wants to help a family that's lost everything. Like their house gets blown away in a really bad storm, which weirdly enough, my book came out like while the hurricane stuff was going on, it was very weirdly like, on the nose for what yeah, was going on in the world. Very like newsworthy yeah, stuff. I was like, well, I didn't know this a year ago, but like, yeah, he wants to help this family basically rebuild their house and kind of, you know, get their lives back together. They have a new baby that was just like born. And so he's trying to help them. That's awesome. That's a really strong pitch. Yeah. And so <laughs> I submitted that like in like September and then, he announced it on Christmas Eve of Christmas Eve, so the 23rd of December. But I was like sitting in a cafe with my friends, uh, Brendan and Danny. And I was actually at like uh, the, the cafe that's at the Toronto Reference Library. Oh, nice. And I was like being very rude. Uh, Brendan was like visiting from like New York. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm on my phone. Like, I swear I wouldn't be doing this like if it wasn't important. But I was like trying to like check to see it. Yeah, because you knew it was the day. Yeah, right? yeah. He was like, it's going to be like a great Christmas present for like the people who get selected. And so I like, kept refreshing. I kept refreshing. I kept refreshing. And like it wasn't loading. Like there wasn't anything. And I was like, oh, they're never going to announce it. And I remember like I loaded it. And they finally had an update. And I looked through it and, and like... Brendan and Danny are like, well, and I was like, oh, I didn't get it. And I was like really sad. And then I was like, but that's fine. Like whatever. And like, I looked again and then I was like, wait, yes, I did. My name's there. I was like, my name's there. And I like actually started like dancing and like screaming in like the cafe. Like all these people have turned and were looking at me, but I was like, just like, I was like, ah, like Danny and Brendan both have like, I think photos and like videos respectively of me just being like, like beaming and just being like, this is the best. That's awesome. Um, and I love how you didn't connect it right away. Yeah. Like <laughs> I swear to God, I did not see my name there. And so like, it was genuinely the best. Um, and then like part of the deal was we got Marvel and DC page rates for our writing and the art. That's awesome. Which I didn't have any part of. I'm not an artist even a little bit, but yeah. So like we got like really cool page rates. Uh, and then like we got to work with Mark Miller and his editor, Rachel Fulton to develop our scripts and make them better. So we got insight into like his characters from his perspective. Um, and then we got to work with like a pro who, would help make our scripts like super polished and like my script is so much better than what it was. Like I can't even begin to tell you how much Rachel and Mark like changed my life and like helped like 
I, I, there's still scripts that I wrote before I did this that I'm going back and fixing because I was like, oh, like, why didn't I think of these things? So what did you learn? And what was like going in? Like you won, like whatever. Yeah. And then, then you're like, what happens now? So what was the experience of like, I guess, e-meeting them or? I didn't get to meet them. Everything okay. was done like through like just online. Right. Uh, the power of the internet. Um, so like. I don't know what I expected going in, really. I didn't really expect to win. Um, It turned out, too, that between all the six scripts, or the six properties that we could write scripts for, Mm -hmm. um, my logic completely backfired. Uh, More people, like, triple the number of people submitted for Huck than, like, any of the others. Wow. So, whoops. (laughs) But I think there was, like, six or 700 people in total that sent in scripts, and then they had to, like, narrow down like all of those to just like one script for each property. Right. Wow. Um, and then one artist for each property and a cover artist. Um, so I basically sent in my script and then like, they were like, congratulations. Ah, we're going to touch base after Christmas. And then like the process started of basically fixing up our scripts and getting them down to something that we would send off to our artist. And I didn't have any say in who I got as an artist, but I wound up getting Jake Elphick, who is just, I honestly think the best artist in the book. Like I was so thrilled. I was just like, ah, my dreams are coming true. And have you, have you seen Had you seen his work before? And no, like, no. Oh. Like everybody in the book was completely fresh to me. Like right, I didn't okay. know anyone um, before this. I was just like floored. His art is very much his own, but like you could see like some of like the Raphael Albuquerque inv- influence there and, it was just perfect. Uh, but yeah, so like Rachel and Mark basically gave me feedback. There was nothing in my script that needed to kind of be changed in regards to how I like wrote Huck or like the characters. Um, it was just kind of, you know, a lot of like formatting and kind of getting my script down in like panel count and things like that. Right. Like you, um, you were a little too long yeah, for the room and that like they some had. dialogue and things. Yeah. And, you know, like... It, it was things like that that I hadn't really thought about, you know, like I'd seen like people, I, th- I think a lot of like, there's like a panel, um, in like Mark Wade and Chris Somney's, uh, like black widow where there's like 12 panels. So I was like, Oh, well like, you know, like if you're not using dialogue, you can just throw tons of panels and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and that was like something that I don't feel like I was like completely wrong about, but also I really appreciated that they helped me bring that down because that's not really for everybody to be able to do, if that makes sense. Right. You have to be able to like describe it properly and it has to work for the story. Yeah. And And, like, that's something for like Chris Somney, like that's not necessarily something for like Jake. Um, They've worked together for years and like Chris Somney like draws action, like no one else, you know? So you kind of have to, start lower and like it, it the panel thing specifically though really helped helped me so much because like they'd be like oh like in like miller world we don't use more than like five or six panels and i was like oh okay 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 and i had to like rethink how like my book would be like laid out and how my story would be laid out but i genuinely think it's so much better for all of that like it just helped me tell a better story a tighter story 
in fewer panels and just make it more concise. And I really love how my story turned out. And, you know, taking that, what I learned there in terms of like the panels and the dialogue and how to pace a story in the layout and how to end the story, you know, I brought that to like Toronto comics, like, and I try very hard to like bring that to like the stories. And it's just like, this is too much. There's too many panels. Like we need to take this down. So what are some of the, like, if you're one of those people, if you're sort of verbose in your comic writing, yes, what are some the of the Kirby things, yeah, what are some of the things that like, what are some of the tips that you took away from like Mark Miller? And- Everything that you can possibly write, you can write it in a more kind of concise way. Mm-hmm. Prose is the place for telling eloquent, long-winded, you know, dialogue. And just that's the place to tell those. Like you need to rely on your artist to get across what maybe your dialogue or your narrations or whatever isn't going to tell. Right. In comics, it's a a collaboration. So you're not going to want to take over like literally the entire panel with words. You want your artist to tell the story too. So cutting it down and trying to keep everything as concise as you possibly can is ultimately just going to be the best for you. Like period, like your book's going to look better. Your artist is going to be happier with you. Like, and your story is just hopefully going to like, supposing you have a good editor that'll make sure everything flows and works is just all round going to be better. Um, I think a lot of the time with writers and like, I'm definitely guilty of this too. I try and leave a lot to the artist, but you know, you also want to write, like you also yeah, you want to put your stamp on it. You yeah. want to like feel like you did something, did something and, yeah. that's you. And like, I think a lot of the time people equate, especially with comics with like being a writer with writing and like a lot mm-hmm. and you don't need to. And like, a lot of people's favorite writer is Alan Moore too. So like yeah, that, that, that's yeah, the example, that's a, right? Yeah, it's a bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, but there's like a lot of great things that, um, you know, don't have any script at all. There's a great series called like Love the Tiger. Uh, and it's, not, it's called the Love Series by Magnetic Press. But they basically have, I think, four books now. Love the Tiger, the Fox, the Lion, and the Dinosaur. And they're completely wordless, like no dialogue, no anything in it. But they're scripted and basically it tells the story of like a day in the life of an animal in like the jungle or whatever. And like, they're gorgeous. One of the people is Federico Bertolucci. And I want to say, oh yeah, I think the other person might be uh, Frederica Beaumont. Maybe, maybe I might be wrong on the second one. I know there's definitely Federico Bertolucci. Um, But uh, again, they're scripted but they have the most beautiful panels you'll ever see. Like so incredible. And it tells such a great story with no words at all. Yeah. It's awesome. And like one of the stories actually tying that into like Toronto comics, um, one of our writers did a completely like wordless story this year. And I'm like, I'm so excited about it. Like I'm like, I don't pick favorites, but like when this person pitched the story, I like actually responded and like, can we do this without words? And they were like, literally, I want to do this whole thing without like any dialogue, without anything. Like I just didn't want to pitch it and then like have somebody be like, you want to write like a whole story without any like dialogue? Like 
they thought that they like we were going to be like super turned off by it. Right, right, right. I guess I can stop saying they. It's Mark Fu's story. He's writing a really cool story, but okay, like he thought that we would be like turned off by the idea but like i like immediately came back and i was like can it be without words <laughs> um so i think that there's a lot that can be done if you trust your artist and with comics i think a lot of people forget that mm-hmm. so one of the big things that i took away from my whole experience was like less is more in comics when it comes to you know panel count when it comes to Telling the story, trusting in your artist and trusting in the person that you're collaborating with will ultimately make your book better. Yeah, totally. So what do you think of Mark Millar and his team now that you've worked with them, now that you've gone like behind the scenes and you had a behind the scenes experience with yeah. other people before, but this is in a more creative capacity. Yeah, this one was definitely specific to like me getting to work with them. Right. I I don't want to say like I was a big fan of like Mark Miller before like I casually liked some of his stuff but then I also casually didn't like some of his stuff too I think I was a bigger fan of like the movie properties Kick-Ass Kingsman Um, I really liked those adaptations Mm -hmm. Wanted Um, was cool yeah yeah and I'd read Wanted the comic I'd read Kick-Ass and I think only recently in the last few years have I really been getting into his comics like I just feel like he's turned he's really kind of like taken a new direction with some of his books and like started to put like a lot of emotion and like taken these new looks at these characters that I haven't really seen before like I haven't read Empress yet but like oh my god I want to so badly and Huck uh Reborn um there's so many things that I just feel are so different from what I've seen of him previously um and so i kind of came into this again specifically loving huck and again his movie properties um but you know i i didn't have an opinion of him as a person he he's very opinionated so he said some things that i feel like i've clashed with personally like in the past before but ultimately like he paid us DC and Marvel page rates. Like he doesn't have to do this annual every year. And I don't know like with the Netflix stuff, if the one for 2018 will happen or if this will be the final one. But for me as a person, Mark and his team like are just like, they just skyrocketed in my personal opinion of them. Cause again, they didn't have to do this. Like Mark has like, you know, some movie money going on and, but he could, he has a family. He doesn't need to, you know, boost up any, anyone else around him. He didn't owe a bunch of strangers anything. Right. And he puts together this huge thing that takes, you know, like they have to go through like 700 applicants and scripts and read through all of them and then like choose winners and, go through portfolios and like I do that on a much smaller level with Toronto comics, but like I don't envy people having to do more than like, you know, we got like, I think 160 like pitches this year and that was a lot. And that was overwhelming to have to choose from. And there are people that are already doing like ongoing big demand books and they're also doing this and they have to be committed to this too for it to work. Exactly. And I really, they just skyrocketed in my opinion for doing this and for taking the time to boost us. And Mark would like tweet about how great we are. And you know, like it just 
changed my view of them completely. Like as a person, like he took the time to edit our things and give us notes and give us words of encouragement and gave us, you know, his team to use and basically make the most of. Yeah. And I think sometimes with these anthologies that like people sponsor, like, like the, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a Stan Lee presents sort of yeah, thing where it's yeah. like Stan Lee's name on it, but he's not really involved in it. Yeah. So you, you're skeptical as an outsider wondering like how involved is Mark Miller really going to be? Is he just going to hand and you like, off to people? He's very precious about his script. So he's pretty like involved. Like <laughs> he, yeah. Like he doesn't want those things to go out unless like he has a stamp of approval. Like he wants wants those to be, I don't want to say like proper like adaptations, but he wants them to be like faithful to like his vision yeah, of those characters. representations of what the characters are supposed to be. Which is incredible. Like I don't want somebody to like let me half-ass their characters. I want to write comics. I want people to hire me to write other people's properties and I want them to know that I can do it well. Like I think I did a great job with Huck. Like that's not even being remotely humble, but like I'm really happy with my story and you know, like he pushed me to be that good at it. And like Rachel pushed me to be that good at it. And I have no doubt in my mind that if it wasn't a faithful adaptation that he would have cut it. And so, you know, like I had this book coming out feeling a lot of anxiety again. Cause like a lot of people put like submitted to Huck and I was like, Oh, they're going to be like, oh, my story was better. Why didn't they publish this? But like a lot of people actually came forward and was like, I submitted to this, but like, I see why they chose your story. And I was like, thanks. Yeah, that's cool. And that's like, I feel like I'm humble most of the time, but like, I'm really happy with how this turned out. And um, again, like he was pretty involved in this, like either kind of by proxy of like Rachel or, you know, like he didn't let these go out unless he thought they were good yeah so awesome that's so cool before we go uh i want to talk about rogues portal because it's a huge part of your life it's something that you started and is like a huge thing for the geek community i love it like i left talking comics i was like editing that stuff and um basically kind of running the site there and the podcast I mean, I was a part of the podcast. I was running the site though. Um, and I kept kind of running into like, I don't know. I still didn't, it wasn't mine. I didn't have like kind of full creative control over things. I couldn't do things that I fully wanted to do. And it kind of just came to that point where I was like, well, I've been here long enough. It's time for me to go step out and do my own thing. And, um, I launched Rogue's Portal as a way of being like broader past just comics. Like, so we could talk about movies, TV, video games, anything, books. Like we have so many book people now. It's amazing. I yeah. love it. And people are talking about that stuff anyway, yeah, like in the world. Yeah. So, And, you know, like I really just wanted anybody with a voice to be able to come and talk about things that they were passionate about and that they were excited about. Because like I'm opinionated. I have opinions, as you were mentioning my like Marvel article, where I'm pretty sure I just told them to go like, what the F are you doing? (laughs) Um, Like, I have opinions. Uh, So I want people with opinions to be able to talk freely, too, and have somebody who's been online for a while back them up and make sure that if anyone came for them, that someone would have their backs. And I wanted to give them a safe place. And I wanted to give them a place where they could learn about writing and growing and editing 
And I'm so proud. Like we do columns, we do interviews, we do reviews. We do so many things. We have a podcast network. Um, we, we do it all and it's, it just keeps growing. And I'm just floored by how many people like send us comics to review, like their indie stuff. And by the way, yeah, we review indie stuff. So like if you have like a web comic, an indie thing, Kickstarter project, we will cover it. I have an entire team dedicated to self-published stuff and web comics. So you can email like comics at roguesportal.com and we will like do it. But we try very hard to, you know, Marvel and DC, we review their stuff too. But like, you know, they don't need us as much. The small fries need us. And I try very hard to be conscious of that and to put that into our website. And same with like all of our things. Like I want people with passionate voices to tell everyone about these things and people with projects that they passionately made to get reviewed and covered. So, you know, that's kind of like what we're all about. And I have an amazing managing editor, Samantha Pearson, um, who just kills it in bringing in diverse voices. Like we have so many incredible like creators with so many different backgrounds and like I'm floored every day by her like being like, Hey, we need to make an account for this person. Who's like this incredible like writer who just like all want to be a part of it. So it's fantastic. Is it all volunteer or unfortunately like we have a Patreon which always helps like, but like at this time we had to like upgrade our servers because we were just like, it kept crashing because we just had too many things going on, which is like a good problem to have, but also it's expensive to upgrade your servers. So like currently everything that we make between like, like our Patreon and like anything else that kind of comes up, which is not really anything at all, all goes into like the hosting fees for like the site, the podcast uh, network. And then, that's it. Everything else, like mostly, that's mostly, it all comes out of pocket for me. Like I, you know, um, I believe in the site though. And it's all people who just contribute because they want to do more. But I also champion these people to get jobs elsewhere. Like I post job like postings constantly on our like staff page and like in our group. And one of my contributors, Insha, who, just started as a contributor and then became like our movie reviewer and like editor. Um, I helped her get her a job at like geek.com. Um, and like a bunch of our other writers also write for other big sites that they got because they write for us. Um, but I send recommendation letters. I will harass other like people and be like, you need to give this person a chance because they will work their ass off for you. And they, despite like having other things like stick around with us because they want to also still be a part of what we're doing. So they feel, they feel supported. Yeah. And like, I, you know, like I'm perpetually so busy. I have like 5 million projects going all the time, but I will never not have time for those people. I will never not have time for my friends and the contributors that come on board. Like I will always make time to, help anybody who asks me for help like when you started it did you just network with the right people yeah i mean i've been like i've been doing this for a while now like i really started my social media stuff when i was writing for joe blow like because that was how you that was i wasn't doing pay-per-click then um but i was near kind of 
the end of that era where like you could just have a job in freelance writing and not have to like kind of justify it with views and all that. Right, 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 right. I started to learn because like, I wanted to like promote my stuff and I wanted to get more like I wanted to build a following and a brand. So, you know, like it started as a way to just, yeah, again, like I networked like through that a lot. And then, you know, uh, through talking comics, I met a lot of people and then like I was traveling to conventions like all over the world. And so I was meeting a lot of people there. And as I was starting like the new site, some of the people that were at talking comics chose to follow me to my new site. Cause they, I'd been editing their stuff for like however long. So they wanted to be where I was going. Right. So a few people followed me there and then we just, like a lot of them found us and liked what we were doing and asked to be a part of it. So a lot of it just came organically after being around and producing content that people felt should be out there and they wanted to also do that. So that's awesome. Cool. So on social media, if people want to find you, where can they find you and keep updated with all the stuff you're doing? Yes. So I'm, I used to have, I, I don't update it as much as I used to, but you can pretty much just kind of find me at stephaniecook.ca cook with an E. Um, but I'm not on there as much as I used to be. If you want to find me, I'm mostly on Twitter. Um, which is at Hello Cookie, um, and that's spelled like cookie, like chocolate chip cookie. But um, Hello Cookie on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. You can follow me there. I don't accept a ton of friend requests unless like I know people. But you can follow stuff, and I post things there publicly, mostly, anyways. But cool. Yeah. Does Rogues Portal have its own Twitter yes. and stuff? So Rogues Portal is like Rogues Portal. Facebook.com slash Rogues Portal. Um, Twitter is at Rogues Portal, Instagram at Rogues Portal. We're on all of the things at Rogues Portal. This was a very specific, trying to find a website that hasn't been claimed on everything is very hard. It's very hard. So um, Rogues Portal was, you know, available and awesome and we just felt it fit. So it's our thing on everything. So it's pretty easy to find. That's awesome. And where can your can people buy your stuff? It's mostly available at your local LCS or? Yes. Everything I think I've done so far, like Blocked should be out in the next few months. Um, and then everything else that I've done is currently just available at comic shops. Like Miller World came out pretty recently. I know Page and Panel has a bunch left because we did a signing there. But I yeah, Secret Loves of Geek Girls is even available at like your local bookstore. Um, I'm trying to think, what else have I done? Oh, like same with Toronto Comics. Like that's at Indigos and Chapters. Uh, and yeah, I am. I have some stock of Miller World, so I've been doing like air quotes sketch covers. And by that I mean I'm just drawing on the cover. Um, you can basically get like the cover, have it signed, and I'll like ship it to you for a whole. Five dollars. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So if you like tweet me at Hello Cookie, I can give you the details on how to get a copy of that. Uh, but I've got copies and I'm sending them out. So it's a yeah. great deal. Take yeah. her up on yeah. it. All right. It's it's been great having you. I, I loved this conversation. And uh, we'll you. see you next time Thank on you so much. Speech Bubble.
This has been Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.